0: With the question of the lesson, it seems like it would be easy to say, Why, well, of course, <laughs> I am a disciple of Christ. I'm willing to follow him. But as we were singing, God calls or Jesus calls us. I'm thinking in, in one of the verses in there, it said, make us hear your call. It has to be a choice. And sometimes we want that choice made for us, rather than understanding that that's our choice, that we will choose to follow him. His yoke is easy. And again, have you found it so? Satan wants to say that it's difficult. But if we're realistic, even for those that are not children of God, all you have to do is to look at the world around us and see the deception that Satan has placed on the world, everything that Satan says is pleasurable. We have found that we have to have programs instituted by the government, if you will, for the most part, supported by somebody we call the taxpayers, to deal with the problems that are encountered because of the lie of Satan. The problems that he caused, it's almost, it's almost daily At least weekly it is that you do not read about accidental deaths on on the highways caused by somebody who they call that was under the influence, who has caused innumerable harm and damage. But then you see the commercials that say it's pleasurable and you need to enjoy it. Whatever else is there. Debate's going on now about the vapor, cigarette, or whatever they want to call it. Is it harmful or is it not? Should we pass a law to legislate that you cannot purchase that before age of 21? And then to hear those who want to justify it and yet deny the damage that it does. In other words, we live in a world that if a common person would just look and listen could tell you that what Satan has to offer is damaging, and it's soul damaging, and it's eternal damaging. What God has to offer is for the good. But there's a cost. But again, have you found his yoke easy to bear? His burden is light. Because he is the yoke, or he is part of that yoke that bears that burden with you. And we probably would be more amazed than we would recognize, or would want to admit too, how much He actually bears with our burdens. How He helps us deal with problems that otherwise we would not understand. How deeply He has cared, how deeply He has provided how deeply he watches over and cares for those that are are his and makes provisions for us. It's interesting as you read in Acts, the fourth chapter, and we'll just look at verses 4 through 19 and work around that a little bit. How many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about five thousand. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they set them, that being the apostles. In the midst of them asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, and again, keep in mind the terms that that he's using and who they have reference to and who should have been willing to be disciples of Jesus, but in essence, we're not. If we this day are judged for a good deed, done to a helpless man, by what means he had been made well, let it be known to you, to you all and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Notice again who he's addressing. And notice what he has to say to them, whom you have crucified, and whom God has raised from the dead. By him, the one that you had crucified, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. They should have been builders and yet they rejected the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Understand the truth of that particular statement. Understand who it has application to. And if we're going to indeed be those who will follow Jesus, then a willingness to listen to what Jesus has spoken, what is being spoken by the Holy Spirit. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. were stopped there. Are you a disciple of Jesus? By what conclusion had those religious leaders of that first century reached by listening to Peter and John? Was there eloquence of speech? Was it the marvel of the miracle, per se, the healing of that lame man? Was it their understanding of fulfillment of Scripture and what that involved, that willingness to make a stand for what they believed in? worth about the fact of their conviction and what they believed. The willingness to, in essence, to confront and to convict those that should have been God's people. Annas the high priest, Caiaphas who had been high priest, John and Alexander and as many as were of the family of the high priest that were gathered together there in Jerusalem. And yet they knew scripture and yet they were also willing to ignore the scripture. Hard to be convinced in verse 11 that the stone which was rejected by you builders has become that chief cornerstone. The fact that you had turned away from the very cornerstone of what you're describing that you were the builders of, this kingdom of God. You had rejected. They lived in their world, we've talked before. They got caught up in what they thought where they were doing and what they wanted to see be done. They had tried to take Jesus at one time and make him king and he wouldn't have any part of that. They had misunderstood the nature of God, the nature of the kingdom that God was to establish. Who would be the one who would establish that kingdom and how long that kingdom would indeed last. The disciples were willing to trust God, not fully comprehending all that was going to be involved in that, but that willingness to do what they'd been asked to do, simply to be a servant of a master. To have the confidence in the master that whatever he had asked of them, they would be willing or able to do. To have that conviction, you need to have that understanding. There is salvation in no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than that name of Jesus. That's it. And there's no way that you can call Jesus Be it by his name. He saves. He saves us from our sin. For us to acknowledge that we are in sin and that he's the only one that can remove the guilt of that sin, there's no way that you can call him Christ without understanding that he is the fulfillment of what they held very dear in their lives, the Old Testament scriptures. But it's no different than what we encounter today in a religious world that wants to claim allegiance to the Bible and yet will not acknowledge who Jesus is or who the Christ is or will acknowledge the fact that what it means to call him Lord. Again, it's always interesting those who say just simply call on the Lord and you shall be saved. And to ignore the other passages, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I've always found it interesting that everything that man has come up with and I understand God in this wisdom already knows what man is going to come up with. But it's interesting, everything that man would come up with, God has already had the answer for. Just call on the Lord and you'll be saved. Why would you call him Lord if you won't do what he says? Why well, don't have to do what he says. Well, why would you call him Lord? How can you call him Savior? If you won't let him be the Savior and understand what it means to have or how one obtains forgiveness of sins. Why would you be willing to follow the scriptures if you're not going to follow the scriptures and listen to them? Everything in the Old Testament pointed to the coming of Christ. And then when Christ has come, what was done through Christ? It is finished as he cried on the cross. It's over with the old, and then the new would come in. And why would you not listen? And it had to be hard for them to listen to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Let it be known unto you, brethren, that this man Jesus, whom you have crucified by the hands of godless men, this man Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. And you're condemned because you're not willing to do what he says. That has not changed. We still live in a world that does not want to do what he says. And that does not want to accept Acts 4 and in verse 12. And again, it saddens me to have heard this teaching in the religious world but it saddens me even worse when I've heard this teaching from those who are to be who were supposed to be brethren that it's no longer important for you to acknowledge that Jesus is the only way of salvation before God in heaven that you can believe something else. That as long as you're a good, moral person, that's all that really matters. And they claim to be followers of Jesus. Satan is very effective. We know that from Genesis. All he has to do is to change one word. Satan is very effective in what he knows. He knows Scripture. He quoted scripture to Jesus in the temptation in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 10. But Jesus also would quote scripture back to him. But it is also written. You cannot take one verse and take it out of its context. It has to harmonize with the rest of the scriptures. I have no problem with believing, he whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you let the Bible describe what it means to believe. What it means to call on his name. To put it in contact with other passages. All you got to do is call on the name of the Lord. The deal was Saul of Tarsus' conversion. Ananias to him, why tarish thou now? Arise to be baptized and wash away your sin. What? Calling on the name of the Lord. Let the Bible define that. The Bible does define. The Bible is very explicit in what it has to say. And again, we ought not to be amazed, and I ought not to be amazed, about how those who claim to be followers of God will change and pervert the gospel. They did it in the days of Jesus. They did it long before that as well. Always amazed at how God's people to turn so quickly away from him. I've always been intrigued by Isaiah's statement about the people of God as he confronts them in their worship and their idolatry. As he talks to them, he said, I'm, and it's in the joshing them or, or challenging them, he said, I'm not quite sure what you do and why you do it. He said, you go out in the forest and you cut down a tree and you cut it in half and half of the tree you make into firewood and the other half of the tree you make an idol out of it and to bow down to worship for he said I'm not sure what you're doing he said are you worshipping your firewood or are you burning your God to God's people to those who have been entrusted with the writing of God. We live in a world that challenges us. We live in a world that threatens us, if you will, to say that salvation is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other way. It has to be that way. And we live in a world that wants to challenge that. The religious world does. And the world in general does. Everything is accepted. Everything is okay, except those who want to believe and follow what is true in God's Word. You don't have that right. To say that you are excluded from a relationship with God simply because you worship Buddha, or simply because you worship God in a different way than found within the pages of God's Word. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you known by what you say? Again, going back to Peter's sermon on the on the day of Pentecost, the sermon that he's given here in the back in chapter 3 and into 4 as well. That conviction, the willingness to stand up and to say, here is what we're doing and here is why we're doing what we say. Even though it's in opposition. Again, the fact that you would challenge the religious leader and say, you are guilty of murdering the Son of God. And you wouldn't do it yourself. He chose to do it by the hands of godless men and women, godless men to put the Savior to death. The weight of that. We get to deal with the weight of that of our own sins that caused Jesus to die on that cross. We need to work with that. That's why we have that opportunity to be able to make a change in our life while we're time. While this time, what we challenge others to seriously consider: Have you considered what the scriptures have to say? Have you really sat down and looked at what you're saying? Have you looked at consequences, or have you looked at the, the conclusions that you're drawing? To say it really doesn't matter what you do. God is happy with all of that. And to see and have seen how far they go with that. Again, to know those men and women, or those men that I've known, who have changed what they're preaching. Absolutely changed what they're preaching. A lot has to do with 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 33. Who are you running with? Be not deceived. Evil companions corrupt good morals. Who are you running with? If you spend your time running with those who are undermining the truth of God's word, if you're spending your time running with those who have no qualms about changing God's scheme of redemption, who have no qualms about changing how one worships God, do not be surprised if you change to have association with them. James and John were willing to buck the tide. And we're willing to say, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, this is what we've done, and we'll stand by it. You make your choice. And those that listened or heard them at that time understood. That they were unlearned and uneducated people. But they had a conviction that they were not about to change. You can threaten us, which they did. They could carry through with the threats as they would. And by the time you get to Acts 8, they were persecuting them and they drove them out. That's not going to change. The world really doesn't want to change because the world enjoys doing what they want to do. They never consider the cost. They still do not consider the cost. Those who want to do what they want to do and then endanger the lives of others could care less of what they've done and give no consideration to that cost causing the death of innocent ones injuring the innocent ones changing their lives forever it doesn't bother them because simply they just blow it off I'm not guilty it wasn't my fault I was under the influence and therefore I don't care where do we stand are you going to be a disciple of Jesus? Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side. Lord, here am I. What reply will we make? That Jesus calls us out of this world. And what he gives us. And I like his yoke is easy, his burden is light. i found it so doesn't mean it's a pleasant life it doesn't mean it doesn't have its ups and its downs but regardless of the depths of the downs he has never left or forsaken his people he's always been there regardless of how down the downs are They're never as down as we thought they were. He's always carried us through. And he's never abandoned us. Would that be true? How can we? How can we abandon him? How can we doubt his love? His compassion? his mercy, his strength, and his protection that he grants to those that are his. God moves in the mysterious ways his wonders to perform. How he works in our lives is amazing. How he gives us the free will that even when we've made some bad choices he hasn't abandoned us sometimes his word is what chastises sometimes it's the word of our brothers or sisters in Christ that chastises us and helps us to see what needs to be done but he's never abandoned us then again how can we are you a disciple of Jesus. Will you make that reply? I am on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. That invitation song reminds us again of our dependence upon him. I need thee every hour. Not an hour goes by that we don't stand in need of that Savior. It's just, are we willing to let him be just that? If we look at our life, where is it in the eyes of God? It's not where you think your life is as a Christian. Where is your life in the eyes of God? Is it where God wants you to be? And do you understand how much he helps you in that life you live? If Life is not where it ought to be. There's a need for a change. And God always is there to accept that change. If you need to respond, if we could assist you, we can help you in any way in making that life right with God, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.